Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. I am very excited today to be joined by Sonia Elijah, independent investigative journalist, to discuss a story that we recently discussed with Jessica Rose, PhD. And we want to elaborate on that in that discussion because of some excellent work that was recently put out on Trial Site News by Sonia and get into what this really means, the, the larger implications, and potentially touch on some future research that she'll be putting out in you know conjunction with this current uh, investigation around what's being called Blotgate. Now, you guys are very well aware of what we previously discussed and the the relevance to why this is concerning. And so we want to get in today, actually going to begin today with why I think this is a huge you know, chink in the armor of this large fraud that I think we're all beginning to see in regard to biotech and Pfizer or just the COVID-19 agenda. So joining me today is Sonia Elijah to discuss this and hopefully give us some insight onto why this is so important. How are you today? I'm great, Ryan. How are you doing? Good, all things considered. I, I've actually been feeling much more positive lately about how much is shifting as much as it seems like all rugs are being pulled out everywhere with crazy stuff in the world. But I feel like more and more is being revealed. And I feel like more and more people that previously would never ask certain questions are at least having the courage to to ask, you know, is this happening? Are these okay? Are these blots falsified? You know, things like that that you never would have expected. So I'm quite hopeful. Are you feeling similar things today that more people are beginning to ask questions? Yes, definitely. I feel that there is sort of we've reached maybe perhaps a tipping point. Yes, yes. And that's some really good news. I mean, and that the hard thing about that is when we see this kind of dramatic, maybe paradigm shifting change, things get a little intense, you know, especially the people that are the dying part of the power structure can get a little intense. And so things can seem worse than ever before, sort of the darkest before the dawn. But yeah, so I agree with you. And I'm, I'm glad that people are seeing that. Um, I'd like to start today with one of the reasons why I think people may be feeling this way. And, and this is about the the willful fraud aspect of this conversation. And we'll actually look let's before we get into that. I, first, I just wanted to give your work a shout out. Uh, make sure that uh, Sonia Elijah's got her Substack here for you guys to check out. A lot of good people on Substack these days. We've got our own as well for TLAV. And you recently had a great discussion about this with Clayton Morris, which I think was a really, really good, good conversation. Um, and then your Twitter account here, if you guys want to check that out. But so we're, what we're getting into today is this excellent article on your Substack as well as on Trial Site News. Startling evidence suggests biotech and Pfizer falsified key data, part one. And so, again, what we what we you guys will be familiar with Jessica Rose, Ph.D.'s discussion about this and what we titled the unknown risks of truncated spike proteins. And I think this is a perfect next step to this conversation. So the reason I want to start with the where you discuss in here, the concept of willful intent, fraud or fraudulent misrepresentations and why that's so important in a general sense to highlighting basically the indemnity that's been created through childhood schedules and the approval of different uh, injections that aren't being given and why the willful fraud part of that is important to kind of break through that that uh, protection, essentially. So can you give me your thoughts on that? Yes. Um, so I started looking um, at the sort of I would classify them as the predatory contracts that Pfizer and BioNTech got obviously many countries to sign. Mm. And, and and essentially what these countries signed away was their sovereignty status, mm. meaning that if they couldn't um, make the payments sort of for all these sort of millions of doses of the vaccine, they would have to give up the, the nation's assets, mm. which is just unprecedented. Yes. Um, and also I was looking at particularly the EU's advanced purchase agreement. And so that sort of screenshot that I captured that's on my uh, that's in the report 
is from that um, advanced purchase agreement that the EU signed. And actually, I mean, we know there's a lot of uh, scandal involved in that. It was Ursula von der Leyen who unilaterally Mm -hmm. essentially brokered the deal, a multi-billion euro deal with this CEO uh, of Pfizer, Albert Bueller. And uh, she essentially has been called to sort of... um, you know, to, to, to show these these private these this 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 deal was done via private texts and, and phone calls, which is highly alarming. Um, absolutely no transparency there. And she has, you know, uh, I know that, you know, the EU, you know, that there's a kind of like an, a, an overview committee who's, who's asking that we need to see this text. And she's just saying, oh, they've been lost or they've been deleted. I mean, it's just so scandalous. Yeah. Um, but what I was looking at was obviously, you know, in, in these predatory, unconscionable contracts, um, is that uh, the uh, Pfizer and, and essentially BioNTech and all their suppliers along the supply chain are benefiting from complete indemnity. So basically, they are exempt from any liability of any harm caused by their product. Mm-hmm. So, sort of, you know, talking about vaccine injuries here, deaths. Um, not they don't. They're not liable at all. It's actually the countries that take on the liability. Uh, the countries that have to pay out, uh, well, some obviously refuse to, but I know the UK have, you know, there's like a trickling in of, of, of payments they've made to certain vaccine injured people. And it's obviously capped and it's very low. Um, but when you look at the, uh, the their indemnity status, status what for, what when it, it ceases to apply, when there is willful, willful intent, fraud or fraudulent misrepresentation, and I believe that the critical data that they supplied to the regulators, the EMA, the European Medicines Agency, and to the FDA, and obviously to the MME, all the key regulators, uh, this is to do with um, the Western blot results. Now, I'm going to little backtrack a little bit because I want to put this into context. So. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, I was I did a two part investigation into the European Medicines Agency emails that were. Leaked. Sonia, if we could pause for just one second, I we'll, I want to go there directly next, but I wanted to make a couple quick points about the yeah. this because it's real. I, I just don't want people to miss how really important this part is, and even and I even even disconnected from the block gate discussion. Yeah. Because of how important this, you know, because what I actually want your opinion on this as well, do you, is, do you th- see a difference between or explain for me the difference between the contracts and the indemnity conversation, which took place long before there was approval, approved versions before there was childhood schedule discussions, right? So there was the contracts that were discussed, which are, I, I agree with you, just unbelievable, putting up like country assets in place and they're not able to be sued and so on. Versus the indemnity that was discussed in a general sense, sort of because of the approved injections and the childhood schedule that they, RFK Juniors discussed this, where essentially that creates an indemnity going forward. So those are two such different things, essentially. Right. So do you do you think so? Or give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I obviously I don't have a legal expertise. I'm not mm-hmm. a lawyer. I haven't. I'm just sort of looking as at you know from the viewpoint of an investigative journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the uh, the sort of what they used as their sort of excuse was these are coming in as as emergency use authorized products, right? Mm-hmm. 
So there's an element of risk. So, you know, so they're making the kind of what you're aware, you know, there could be harms, injuries, you know, and they're sort of waving up their hands like it won't be our fault. We're kind of off the hook because these are having to be pushed sort of in a, a warp speed time frame. Mm-hmm. So they're sort of um, hiding behind that, that these are emergency use products and, um but, you know, it's it's clear looking at what I've seen. And I like I said, specific, specifically, I was looking at the advanced advanced purchase agreement um, and, you know, zooming in on this sort of their indemnity and their sort of, you know, their protection from any liability. Uh, and uh, it, it there is a there, you know, there's a clause there. it ceases to apply if there is. Forging right. misrepresentation, and I would believe I would then relate connect that to well, surely the data they're providing in order to get the authorization. If that right. is fraudulent, then shouldn't then that sort of what are the ramifications of that when it comes exactly. to the contract? Exactly. Right, that should pierce their veil of indemnity. I, I would do. believe, but I am not a lawyer, and mm. this is where lawyers need to step in and lawmakers right. to to um to assess that and, yeah. and to investigate that further. I, I do I do worry that the willful part of that will be abused because that's a difficult thing, as you know, to prove in a court of law. That's that's the that's the catchy part. And I argue that's why that was put there. But yet I think the the real thing I think is interesting is that we have this indemnity from the con- indemnity from the contracts before, which I would argue was meant to apply to the investigatory time frame, even though they don't really regard it as such, you know, the, the trials and, and going yeah. forward and the EUA, as you pointed out, where they rushed it out because we're in danger and that yeah. that's what that was meant to. But then we have the phase where they've been approved on the shelf. Technically, they haven't given those and they've also gone on the childhood schedule. And that goes into a secondary like going forward phase. So I just wanted to, if you, I, I honestly don't even know whether those things apply differently. I would argue the willful fraud part of that applies. But it seemed again, these, this is where the lawyers would step in and kind of type through that i thought that was interesting but to go to your point about the the in june you went through the investigation around the emails and i think this is a really important part as you as your other interview you started with because it really to me it stands out as there's a lot of parts discussing the product related impurities the the truncated spike proteins like before we got to this point so i want to go ahead and start there for us and let us know why that's so important before we got to blockgate yeah, sure. So sort of last summer, I started writing on this. And and um, so I went through all these sort of leaked emails, these uh, documents uh, relating to the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, uh, PowerPoint meeting you know, presentations and, and the assessor reports, uh, the rolling review. And um, what really stood out, obviously, was the, the major objections by the regulators, and not just the EMA, but also I mean, the FDA were aware, the MHRA aware, were aware, Health Canada, um, they were all aware that there was a major significant drop in RNA integrity between uh, um, in the commercial batches of the vaccine. So these were the the batches that were sort of upscaled, like large scale production, uh, uh, manufactured in large quantities. That dropped down to about fifty five percent the RNA integrity level, compared to about a roughly seventy eight percent in the clinical batches. Those were the ones used in the clinical trials. They were sort of produced in small scale batches, and um, 
So they classified this drop in RNA integrity. They actually classified that as a product-related impurity hmm. because what that spoke to was the uh, – it was connected to was if you have a drop in RNA integrity, what that means is that the RNA molecules in the vaccine have been truncated, they have been fragmented, so they're missing either, either a 5' prime cap or a poly-A tail hmm. and – there's repercut. I mean, there's implications of that of a mm-hmm. truncated RNA because, obviously, what what kind of proteins are then being translated right. by this sort of truncated RNA? And they went back to BioNTech. BioNTech is the marketing authorization holder, by the way. Mm-hmm. So they went back to BioNTech. They, you know, you need to char- characterize this. What is this truncated? What are what are the proteins being expressed? by the truncated RNA. And they they grant the EMA granted conditional marketing authorization. This was in December 21, 2020, based on BioNTech coming back, uh, meeting a specific, specific obligations. And there were quite a few of them, but I was focusing on SO1, specific obligation one, which was looking at the truncated RNA, what proteins are being expressed, and um, so that was one of the elements of this of these emails. I and mean, there were other scandals as well. It talks about the political race and about just um, you could sense there was a real urgency to just mm-hmm. rush these uh, products through. All of there which was, were leaked, by the way. That's it. We would yeah. never have known about this had it not leaked yes. out. That's important. There was a, there was a cyber attack that the mm-hmm. uh, EMA acknowledged. And I have been corresponding with the EMA and they, they acknowledged it. And I obviously I published their right. I gave them a right of response. I published their entire you know, mess, uh, email to me um, in part two of, of my email e- EMA leak uh, report. And so they acknowledged it. Um, and what was so alarming, going back to the RNA integrity level, the way mm-hmm. they, they authorized it, and this is with all the regulators, they literally lowered the standard down to 50%. Hmm. And this is coming from the by the BioNTech, from the, the, the marketing authorization holder in Pfizer. So mm-hmm. they essentially, you know, they, they said, we, you know, they lowered it to 50%. The regulator just sort of like waved it through. Um, no questions asked. Um, only that the only questions they asked was, you know, you've got to meet these specific obligations. Mm-hmm. So this is a scandalous. The fact that, you know, they literally lowered the standard to solve the problem. Right. They also noticed observed particles in 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 these batches in uh, and 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 they classified those as impurities. Um, so there was a, there was a lot going on in these emails. You could glean a lot of information from it, but also there's political race um, and and this sort of you know it was more sort of. It, you felt that it was, you know, FDA sort of calling the shots and, mm. and all the regulators sort of, you know, towing the line. Um, and obviously, but we know that the MHRA actually was the first, the UK regulator was the first one to sort of uh, grant EUA uh, for the product, uh, December 1st, uh, 2020. So that was, uh, looking at that, that was sort of the the emails. Now, going to my recent report, so then I looked Mm. now, the specific obligation they had to meet, they had to then do these tests. So the test that they ran was the Western blot. And the Western blot is a technique used to identify and separate specific proteins from a mixture of proteins extracted from cells 
based on their molecular weights. Mm-hmm. And this is what they presented. And, and this is what looks highly unusual. And um, so you have what essentially should be a Western blot, but obviously these are very thick, very regular square kind of rectangular bands when a, a typical conventional Western blot will have a smear to it. It will be slightly curved. There'll be an arc because they're done by hand. They're done mm. manually. And these obviously, you know, now the, the argument is, well, these are done by machine. These are the, these are automated. So you have these machines that sort of can do it. They simulate um, the results and it's a computer generated results. But if you run with that argument, I mean, they essentially probably are computer mm. generated. But what has what a anonymous scientific expert he what they provided me was further evidence to show these these essentially these bands have been copied and pasted. Mm-hmm. And the way um, in my report, what should have you know visually shows this is that this expert using image software analysis was able to quantify the bands. And when they did that, you could see it sort of, and it was plotted on a kind of plot profile, like the graphs, and you see sort of like these peaks and dips and, and it certain bands, groups of two or three bands have literally been copied and pasted. Mm -hmm. They also did a video to show how it was literally copied and pasted. And that actually have that if you want to play it. Yeah, that would be yeah. great. Okay. Yeah, we can probably talk about it while it's playing, actually, because I don't think there's much audio there. Um, here you go. Go ahead. So yeah, this is interesting. So explain. Yeah. So this is essentially comparing the yeah. copy pasted ones to what normal ones would look like. And yes, so, go ahead. Yes. So essentially, you know, you're looking at the uh, how you know the, the shades of sort of gray and black, um, and that's what you're seeing. Um, and um, so where you're seeing the up peak is where it's going white. That's the kind of white between the bands and how dark it is. The closer you are to zero is how, how dark it is. And what they've done, you can see they've copied these three bands. That's in a group of three. Mm-hmm. OK, one, two, three, you see in blue. And literally you can see that 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 group of that row of those three bands exactly the same in their position and in their intensity has been copied and pasted. So this is what's really alarming. This is, this is, this speaks to, you know, this has been, you know, this is fabricated. This is, this This is, you could call this fraud, right? Especially if this is willfully done, you're, you're lying to people about what you're seeing. Yes. Yes. And this is the evidence. This I believe is the smoking gun because, Mm -hmm you would never get this naturally, right? right. And this, right. this this, is across, so four different um, vaccine batches. That's that's the important part to me. And that has been, tra- and each batch has been transfected at, at six different concentrations. Mm-hmm. So for you to get like exact identical bands sort of, you know, thrown about here and there is just, that would never happen, right? That would just never happen. You lose you? Yeah, so it's it's just um, sorry. Can you hear me? You dropped out there for just a second. Oh, okay. Looks, of, of course, our our stream is struggling, but uh, yeah, you're oh, back now. So go ahead. I'm back. That's great. So thanks for showing that. So this huh? this is like what's going on there. That needs to be further investigated. Of course, I'm not a scientific expert. I'm an investigative journalist, but you know, I'm just trying to piece things together, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 and, uh, um, but um, so so we have that. And and also the way they described Biotech 
these band, these Western blot, they described it as a Western blot, like a traditional Western blot. They didn't say these are automated. Mm-hmm. Also, the language, the terminology they use to describe it is a terminology used to describe a conventional Western blot. They use the words like wells, gels, mm. things like that. I mean, that's what you, you would use to describe a conventional Western blot. Right. Um, no way did they at any point say these are automated or these are done, you know, uh, computer generated. Um, and Only after called out on them, essentially, was the excuse given that, yes, okay. Could you explain yeah. for me why that it doesn't, like, as I understand it, the those are never supposed to be used in a real experiment process. Those are meant for, like, yes. display Yes. And also, like, why why not show the raw data? Right. Right. Where is the raw data in this? Right. And why the regulators accepting this as Mm. a key test? This is the data. This is the data they're relying on to prove that, um, oh, um, the molecular weight of the expected spike protein is at around whatever, you know, whatever it is, let's say 140 or whatever. And, and it looks showing this is this is a, this is the molecular weight. So based on the molecular weight, this is the, this is the spike protein. They haven't even characterized it. Mm-hmm. They're just going by on the weight. And I mean, obviously, part two of my report will talk more about that and the, the spike pro- that the proteins being expressed. But essentially, it's it's well, what what other than the spike protein, what other proteins are being right. expressed by the truncated RNA? And obviously, you know, um, Dr. Jessica Rose is an expert on this. She's done a lot on, you know, what are these mutants? You know, what are these mutant proteins being expressed? And and also, I mean, I've I've also has I've also um, it has spoken to to Kevin McKernan and mm-hmm. um and and I had a good conversation with him and you know he was like well there's never have there been have they published the the genomic sequence right for the 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 expressed protein mm-hmm. of of the vaccinal mRNA where is it it's never it's not published anywhere and why I, why isn't that published right. um so it's just really um yeah, this is just very concerning. Mm-hmm. And again, what, how the regulators were able to just pass it through and not ask right. for raw data and not, you know, because they, 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 these are highly unusual. But the, the copy and paste uh, evidence, I think, is, is really um, is quite critical here. Yeah. And, and as you point out in your article, not just the regulators, but the, but the publications. The peer yes. review process. I mean, yeah. every single stage of this has been, and and yet you have an end, endless amount of very respected, high level people out there pointing this out, going that just doesn't make sense. So yes. the fact that it went through this process speaks in its own right. Like I'm not going to say I can explain how that happened or what individual choices were made, but it speaks for itself because I mean, it's very clear that there's some, there's a discrepancy here. And one, since you ended on the spike protein part of this, I personally find that to be very relevant in the context of how. I mean, there were pushback in the beginning about the spike protein itself being cytotoxic. This is the Salk Institute on April uh, 30th, 2021, referencing the circulation study that the spike protein alone can cause damage. And so to your point, this is they have yet to actually show the data around just this piece by itself, which is very interesting. Right. And I wonder why. I just think that's interesting to point that out, seeing as how there's evidence of this itself shedding. And what does yes. that mean? If this thing itself, as the Salk Institute, which is very respected, can cause disease itself and it can then yes. shed, what does that mean if it's not even the same thing? I don't know the answer to that. But this may be one reason why these things are being held close to the chest. But I also want to go back to the original part of this uh, in regard to the uh, this part of it, the emails and, and some thoughts and some points there I wanted to make in regard to how that went forward. Like, So the lowering of the 50 percent. 
First of all, I mean, that shows you very clearly that's unprecedented. You don't just lower the number because you weren't meeting the number. And this was pointed out early on in this discussion, but it got shouted down and suppressed. And, and, and so that means that they were aware this was not happening all the way back then. Jessica Rose herself argues that we don't really even understand what truncated spike proteins by themselves even translate to. So that's a really concerning thing for me. And then you make a really interesting point there that that's so one problem is that we can prove. And again, according to what you cited in your research, um, I believe it was uh, this one here in this recent study on in Jan- in January yeah. finding the same thing that they found only that only full length mrna transcripts are viable expressions of the spike protein so ultimately what is it doing if it's not if it's truncated right that's one huge problem there but then also the problem that uh going back to this that they only tested as you re- reported in this for spike 1 and spike 2 so they weren't even looking for what else it could be doing so yes. you have any thoughts on that and Yes, no, that's really good for, for pointing that out. Um, they were only looking for S1, S2. So they, yeah, the antibodies they use to sort of bind uh, the proteins with, you know, that that's what, so if they're, if you're only looking for that, then that's all you're going to find, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's, there's a limitation in that test. Um, and also, you know, the Journal of, you mentioned the Journal of Pharmaceutical Sciences. I mean, the, 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 re- the researchers that did that paper, they were all employees of Pfizer or BioNTech. It was funded by Pfizer and BioNTech. And they just, you know, went with their results, not, you know, not asking again for the raw data. And, you know, it, it's just very, um, very, uh, yeah very worrying really and mm-hmm. um i i just think that the the regulators have really you know it's, it's i would say it's been a dereliction of duty on the behalf of the regulators they've really i think failed the public in rather than promoting public health they've just been protecting the pharmaceutical industry right i completely agree i mean i i, I will wonder whether the individuals think they're doing you know because right now there's a huge sentiment in within the field especially those that don't really realize yet how bad this is and are still going with the lines fed by the establishment, but that they feel that even if this is bad, that it's safer and better for society to hide this because you know what I mean? Like, because ultimately it will cause people to be skeptical of the entire system or whatever their logic is, but that's just inherently dishonest. So I just, my point is I just wonder whether there are people out there that are still hiding this because they feel that it's only one problem and it doesn't implicate the entire system. But either way, you have people in positions that are supposed to be keeping us safe that are withholding factual information. There's no way to misunderstand that. You know, I'm just, I'm just pointing out we don't really understand why they're making this conclusion. It doesn't really matter to me, to be quite honest, because this is quite serious and people are being hurt by the fact that this is being withheld. Yeah, I mean... And also, I mean, just the way the trials were run. I mean, mm-hmm. I've interviewed uh, Brooke Jackson, the right, right. whistleblower. I've gone through personally firsthand thousands and thousands of documents that were released. Uh, 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 the, these these are the Pfizer uh, trial documents. And I, I mean, the, le- the, the amount of errors, anomalies, I literally found a third vaccine death. This was before the cutoff that the the New England Journal of Medicine, so they published this pivotal uh, paper where it was all the sort of, you know, the the, the results of the, the, the clinical trials and the, va- you know, the, the deaths in the vaccine group. And I found a third death from the vaccine group. They put it down, to, they just said it was, there were two deaths, but actually I found a third that was before the cutoff date that should have gone in, that just was not put in. And that's an increase of 50%. Right. Um, and I just found that first, you know, just just going through them. And uh, that was just very alarming. And also, I just want to point out to the, the adolescent clinical trial. This is the 
the trial for 12 to 15 year olds. And I mean, this is such a heartbreaking story because I interviewed Maddie de Garay's mother, Stephanie. Mm-hmm. And Maddie de Garay was a participant of the of the adolescent trial. She was about 12 at the time. And she had life altering injuries immediately after her second dose of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. And her her case was completely covered up. Mm-hmm. So the, the the trial investigator, Dr. Frank, who was with Cincinnati Hospital, that's where the trial was run. He was very much aware of all her symptoms because Maddie's mother would go, they would go to the ER at least eight, nine times in a very short period. And so he was aware of everything, of what was going on. And her the way they literally reducted, reduced her case was, oh, abdominal pain. That's mm-hmm. what she had. And that's what's in the in the in the report. Thanks and when you go to the New England Journal of Medicine, when you have that that pivotal, the results of the, the adolescent trial and the co- the lead author of that paper is Dr. Frank. They said for the results, no, no serious adverse events relating to the vaccine. Wow. And no. as far as I understand it, she's still in the wheelchair, correct? And she, still she eating her on a feeding tube. She's in a wheelchair. She has seizures. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, this is right. just. So I mean, just imagine if that's one of the most prominent cases that goes down as a stomach ache when she's literally apparently yeah. permanently disabled. Just, yes. just think about that for those out yeah. there. And this is and, a provable case. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm, I'm pointing this out, because this right. is a perfect example of cover up. Of, of, of fabrication of what what right. is this malfeasance i mean fraud i mean i don't know all the all the things you could throw at that but all it's of it. just, yeah absolutely yeah, I mean, it really is and that's really heartbreaking you know i've i've interviewed the mother and um and it, it, it really it's just very uh how they were able to just to write no 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 and then and i went through like i said i've gone through so many case reports of these mm-hmm. these these documents and I found another case where a woman had uh, lymphadenopathy, and that's so that's the enlargement of the uh, the lymph uh, the lymph glands the lymph mm-hmm. nodes. Um, and her oncologist stated that the her her her, her you know her, her these adverse events are related to the vaccine. The trial investigator, which was very shocking, this is this is Pfizer's trial investigator. Um, also admitted that it was related, this woman's lymphadenopathy was related to the vaccine. But then you have right underneath, this is this is in the narrative, mm. uh, Pfizer did not concur. So for every adverse event that usually, you know, it you Pfizer did not concur. Pfizer did not concur. So they they just they just sort of swept everything under the rug. Like they never, they never believe they never admitted that any real sort of serious adverse event was related to their product. This this is just a staggering on the surface cover up. I mean, these things, it's just so incredible how obvious all of this is. And yeah, they've got an excuse or a narrative, any one of these individual discussions, but you just can't see it any other way when you look at the big picture here. And this is one of the ones, and this is the kind of stuff that really does blow my mind today since you brought up the, the original information is that we have this kind of, th- this alone should have been enough to put a to halt at this, but we, along with everything else we know, this was on se- September 27th, the reevaluation of the phase three trial data. And it just blows my mind that it can be reevaluated. Pfizer can argue that everything's safe and effective, and yet they find a 36% increase in, in serious adverse events for those in the vaccine group for Pfizer. And that yeah. goes completely unreported by the corporate media. What else do you call that but a cover up? That's the original trial data. 
You know, it's just it's not just like they accidentally tripped and, and lost all the information. Right. That's a cover up as far as I'm concerned when taken in conjunction with what you're finding, what we're seeing everywhere else. I mean, it's yeah. it's am I correct in saying that? I mean, I, I'm not I'm not trying to pull punches here. I think it's very clear what this is. Yes. No, it's essentially what you have. You have the pharmaceutical companies marking their own homework. Right. 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 Then p- passing their results to the regulator. The regulator is completely, you know, practically funded by the pharmaceutical industry, the very industry that they're supposed to be regulating. Mm-hmm. You have the you have the fox guarding the hen house. I mean, there's no other way to put that. And and it's just all, you know, gets sort of, you know, approved, you know, like no questions asked. Um, so it's um, it really there needs to be a massive overhaul in the mm-hmm. way the regulators are are functioning, the way they are funded. And, and that's what I'm kind of calling for is this, you know, we need it. We need to start from scratch. We need right. it, this 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 can't go on because. um you have the pharmaceutical industry. Now, these industries, they have a fiducial duty to their shareholders, exactly. right? It's to their shareholders. It's to make profit. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah. So, and it's the public that, that lose out. Right? It's quite naive of people to consider that it's somehow, you know, because they really are trying to frame them as altruistic. I mean, you don't really give liability to a pharmaceutical company unless you argue they're doing good or, you know, the way that they covered that. Yet it's, on, as you said, this is a company. If we're going to pretend that they would out, they would do what's, they, they would rather, what's the right way to put it? Take action that would not profit the shareholders so it would interest you and be better for humanity society is just wildly naive and every single time we see these actions throughout history that gets proven time and time again as we've seen the pfizer tracker will show 10 billion dollars in fines for a litany of different crimes and holding safety data withholding information on what it can do lying about what it can do it's just kind of ridiculous to pretend that this just you know but i would always put point out that it's the government that allows this situ- situation to be the way it is but pfizer is equally culpable here in my opinion yeah yeah absolutely and then also you also put it into context of how they were brought in this sort mm-hmm. of railroading through of the vaccine it was because they said and we know this is not true that there was no other treatment available that was right. their whole sort of man. No other treatment available. You had this sort of demonizing of ivermectin. I've done a lot of uh, investigative reports on ivermectin on early treatment, and that was completely removed. Like, no, no other, no other off. They couldn't use any other off-label drug. Nothing, nothing works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and that's how they allowed the EUA to go through because right. emergency youth authorization was given because there's no other available treatment. So everything it's going to be, you know, it's just the vaccine. And and that's what they just railroaded through and mandated. I mean, you know, that's just it's criminal. unbelievable. It is ab- criminals is absolutely the best word for that. Well, so since you bring up the EUA, like I'm, I'm really interested in in the way this goes forward. Um, I'm not from. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Sasha Latipova's work recently. Okay, oh. we, if you want to touch on that as well, like because there's clear overlaps here to potential how this are really would explain why this went the way it did if this was completely only accountable to like the military apparatus, right? And the way this was more window dressing. If you have any thoughts on that, please let me know. And then how the EUA is being used going forward. Because those yeah. things kind of interact. Because I know right yeah. now they're arguing the EUAs can basically continue on indefinitely. Yeah. I mean, I can only really talk on what I've researched firsthand mm-hmm. myself. And I know she's done some great work. I mean, you know, the fact that the these these vials were never tested. So the vaccine was never tested at the vial level. Mm-hmm. It was sort of 
batches, you know, so and it's very different. So, you know, she's done some great work to do with the quality of the vaccine and how it was tested. And and the fact that they had no uh, the usually with a with a drug. I mean, it's it's every drug product has a serial a code. So it's serialized Mm -hmm. for these products. They just remove that. You don't have to get this, you know, a code for it. The serialization was just removed um, and you have to ask why. And then, you know, there's great sort of website where how bad is my batch? So how bad is my batch? So that's a really great database where you can put in a lot number and it will have what's the, the lethality rate for that lot, the number of, you know, the percentage of adverse events coming from that lot. So we know there are these essentially hot lots and what's going on there. Right. Why are they why are they not being investigated? Like what you know, is it because of the truncated RNA? Is mm-hmm. that what's happening? And and um so so there is a um this this the product that they used, I think, in the clinical trial is very different to what has been sort of mass produced. Well, right there. Do you think oh, yeah. that that is part of this? And even an extension on that question that it's, you know, whether it's more BioNTech than Pfizer, vice versa. But do you do you think that it's more about, you know, I mean, again, my personal opinion is I think this was a choice. I think it's very clear this was a choice to withhold the, the what's the right word for it? Just the inconsistency of all of this. But do you think there's a possibility this was more of a mistake, really, that they had the batch test and they didn't test the vials? And, and then like Dr. Peter McCullough has pointed out, the lipid nanoparticles. When oh, left yeah. out, they can just kind of clump and then you don't even get the instructions, which seems to be a positive when you really understand how this is going. But he points out we just don't know what that does. Yeah. Same with the truncation. Go ahead. I think um, and also um, uh, there's an amazing pharmacist from Canada, Maria Gucci, and she's done an amazing int- uh, on Rumble. You can find her video where she really breaks down and talks about the quality and all that could go wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. And so she's great. So I highly recommend people to watch her video. Um, and um, but yes, so essentially, I don't think they could. They, they these couldn't. They couldn't. They had a lot of trouble replicating mm-hmm. the batches at, 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 at to meet the sort of the, the set the, the, to meet the standards, the criteria that was set. And I'm um, essentially so they lowered the standard down to fifty percent so they could meet it because there was such a discrepancy. Um, so there was. I mean. Now, obviously, we know these products were rushed out in just record time. Mm-hmm. And and it's just, yeah, I mean, just logistically getting them all out, rolling them out. Uh, and and they, they couldn't replicate the formula, I think, you know. And then, Wild. you know, the, looking at the lipid nanoparticles, I have done a bit of research on that. I mean, no, they're highly toxic. Mm-hmm. We know that you've got the PEG. Uh, we know that that um, can induce anaphylaxis. Um, you know, to inject that into your body. I mean, we know PEG is used in like shampoo and this, but to actually inject it into your right. body, um, it's never been done. It's unprecedented. And then you have these uh, cat- uh, cationic lipids, these charged lipid uh, particles, uh, and, and, and what, what, what can go wrong there? And then you have the, the way they're encapsulated. So you have, you know, and then certain lipid nanoparticles have different lengths to them with the with the tails i mean it's just so many things can go wrong right and essentially you know it is this these this is the i mean i believe mrna products are quite you know that there's so many things it's such a new technology right, right. and it's been rushed through safety i feel have just been you know has been thrown out say the protocol safety protocol has just sort of been thrown out the window and and uh and then on the surface it's like yes yes these have been tested these are safe these are safe and effective and that's just at the surface level actual proper thorough testing i don't think has been done especially at the vial level 
Well, but as you point out, and this is the uh, this is obviously a propaganda level of this, whether whatever the rationale is, the the inher- I've been saying this since 2020, the inherent point of emergency use authorization is that we do not have all the information. That's a fact. But we rationalize that because there's so much danger that what we know of safety outweighs what we know of risk, then it justifies it. That's what they argue. But that got so warped and manipulated to the point to now we don't even approve any things anymore, it seems. We're just trudging forward on emergency authorizations or emergency use authorizations. But yeah, I think that's an important part there is that they really tried to argue that this is safe and effective. Well, the very point is we know that we don't know that. You know, I mean, that's the, that's what I think this whole thing is hinging on is that they they whether they did it on purpose or not, allow this to continue going forward, knowing that they are misrepresenting the safety here, like in a very egregious way, even from the FDA, even from the CDC, Fauci and and, and the NIH, literally saying the opposite of what we know these things mean. Do you have any thoughts on why they would be so blatantly mis, they would so blatantly misrepresent the basic definition of that? I mean, I can't, I can't speak on the behalf of those agencies. I just, I can only speak on what I've, I've, I've sort of researched and, and, and found myself and, and who knows? I mean, I can't speak on their intent. Mm -hmm. Um, I just want your thoughts really on why you think like, I mean, I guess the real point is that if they're so really, whether you think that that is an intent intention, like, are they trying, you know, like just your opinion, because I think ultimately where we are today, it becomes impossible to not see whatever their reasoning behind it, willful manipulation that's kind of my point to this whole discussion today is all of this is considered willful fraud every single level of this you could point out that they are choosing to hide something you know it doesn't matter how we rationalize it you know that's kind of what i'm getting at so i just wanted your thoughts on it yeah no i just don't know if they're if they're so all in and they're Mm -hmm. so deep in it that they just can't kind of come out of it you know like uh, there could be an element of that. Uh, how much, you know, who's calling the shots here, really? Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to ask, well, who's who's sort of running the show um, and, and and allowing all of this to happen? Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's such been such censorship, propaganda right. and all of that. And, and we know that, you know, big tech and, and, and uh, you know, just all of these files that are coming out uh, and the censoring of any dissenting voice, any scientists speaking out about the dangers completely mm-hmm. being, you know, uh, suspended from either Twitter or their Facebook page or whatever it is. I mean, it's just been, this is just unprecedented, this level of censorship. And, and, yeah. uh, and we should be able to ask the questions show us the data, show us the real raw data and, and don't show us these fabricated, you know, looking, looking Western blots. And, 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 and especially if that is your, what you're hanging your hat on for like, these are the proteins expressed. Look, look, look at this. Uh, and, and, and they, they don't even look authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it, it, it's sort of, again, we're looking at a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industry, the pharmaceutical industry. Um, right. It's just um, a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of greed. Yeah. Well, I, again, for the average person out there that doesn't want, because we should always consider deeper motives, I would argue more than money. I think that's all very real to consider, but for those out there that don't think, you know, are going to feel, you know, think conspiracy theory, the moment you get past that point, you don't need to look past money. I mean, that's your point. I mean, clearly there is a billions of dollars in, in that would rationalize the kind of choice to keep something like this from being, sh- or just criminal accountability, to be quite honest. I mean, at this point, hiding this stuff is potentially keeping people out of jail, right? So I kind of yeah. think that this is, I, I agree with your overall premise here. I do, I do think this is a smoking gun. I think this is kind of a crux that is, you know, once you pull the string, 
you're going to begin to see a lot of other things fall apart, including the entire justification for the emergency use authorization, which then the whole thing falls apart. So I yeah. think you're doing excellent work here. Go ahead. There is, oh, thank you so much. I mean, yes, it is an unraveling, right? I do believe, or, or you've got a house of cards. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got that. That's a good thing. You remove one and it all kind of comes crashing down. And I, I'm doing a new report now on, um, will be published uh, hopefully soon, um, uh, in Children's Health Defense Europe. And, and that's on sort of this really damning EU safety report. And I mean, it's just so highly alarming what what sort of what the data was showing at that mm -hmm. time, and what they were just saying. Well, oh, there's no new safety signals and you know, but surveillance will safety surveillance will continue. And they're just sort of brushing over this damning data. Yeah. And, and it's just awful. It's just so awful. Uh, and um, and the fact that they were encouraging it in pregnant well, they still are encouraging yes. it in pregnant women. And I've looked a lot of the data in that. And that is just shocking. At the, the best, they don't know if it's safe. I've been, yeah. I've been, I've been with the, on that same point this whole, for a long time now. It's especially, especially since Comirnaty and the rest of their own from Europe specifically, their own documentation as of this the last week they updated it. It still says we don't know if it's safe for pregnant women. We haven't conducted the test, and yet yeah. they still argue that Walgreens and all these places will come in and get both simultaneously. It's safe and effective. It's just yeah. it's, this is my my point is it's really a wholesale manipulation. And, and this is kind of like going into all of it where these people like Vayers, the, the point you made there with Vayers, I think, is very important that it's this easy to prove a, a willful disregard for even investigating this because, you know, that safety signal systems like Yellow Card or in the United States for Vayers are not meant to be proven. They've said this for years before this, as Dr. Rain said in, in the UK, that we it's really just about the signals. We don't need to prove any of this. If we have a high enough signal, we pull it. Right. And now today they go, well, we don't know for sure. Or it's all a bunch of anti-vaxxers, both of which they haven't even begun to try to prove. So because yeah. we don't know, don't look at it. How do you rationalize that? It's mind blowing. And then you have to factor in the level, the magnitude of underreporting that goes on. Yes. So Harvard did a study, I think, in 2007 to 2010, where they said one to 13 percent, only one to 13 percent of severe, uh, serious adverse events are ever reported. Yeah. So if you factor in that and then you look at theirs, you look at you, it's just astronomical, are you, the, the, you know, the, the signals. And then you mentioned Dr. Rain, Dr. June Rain. She runs the MHRA. I mm -hmm. mean, she had the audacity to say, I mean, she came out with it and said that we, this is the MHRA. We are moving away from, uh, from, from, from the moving from the watchdog to the enabler. So she's essentially, you know, we are we are enabling the pharmaceutical industry. We're sort of remo removing, standing back from our role as as being the watchdog. Wow. I mean, she came out and said that. And, see, and so this is so interesting to think about. She, the quote I referenced was from 2006, quoted by The Guardian. Think of how quickly things can change. Now, suddenly it's not even relevant to talk about anymore. Um, yeah. it's, it's just so upsetting. And I, this is why it's so important that people like you are doing this work in general. Now, you, you mentioned something you were going to be doing going forward. Was that the, the hump gate? Like you mentioned something at the yeah, end. So, 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 yeah, no. So I am going to be doing part two to this current report. But I'm also just finished another report on something okay. else on, on an EU safety report that will be coming out as well. We'll be looking. So at it's well. just a few things that, yeah, so, um, you know, quite busy. Good, uh, doing the writing yes well could you give us an insight to kind of finish today on what the part two will be regarding or do you want to keep that under the under i'm i'm gonna keep that okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you'll 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 know soon yeah definitely okay. but um yeah no it's just you know it's just 
um, you know, doing the research, doing the investigation, doing the interviewing. It's just, it's so, I feel it's just so important for the public to know. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's what I, I, I really, I, I feel is, is just as my role as a journalist is, is for the public to know the truth, right. And mm-hmm. to know what's going on. Yeah. Well, well, you know, respect for, you know, cause especially today, doing this as much as people try to pretend that this is the most profitable thing in the world. It's, you know, the reality is that you tend to get, you know, you get attacked from all angles, you know, people pretend this and lie about that. And so, you know, it takes a lot of courage to step in, especially at a time like this and say the thing that you're not supposed to say. So just respect there. And I'm glad you're doing it. And I think you're doing excellent work. So thank you for joining me today. Anything you want to leave us with on the way out social media? Yeah, no, yeah, people can follow me on Twitter at Sonia underscore Elijah, and they can subscribe to my Substack. Uh, a lot of my work is on Trial Site News, uh, Brownstone Institute, Children's Health Defense, Europe, and um, yeah, they can they can find me there. Outstanding. Well, thank you for joining me today. I enjoyed the conversation, and maybe we can reconnect when uh, the new the new piece breaks, and we can jump back yeah. on and talk about it. Awesome. Outstanding. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, as always, everybody out there, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.